The other morning, I woke up with a case of the grumps. Any of you been there? You just kind of wake up and you're all ragey. So as I was doing my morning planning, I looked at my day ahead and it was just a flurry of meetings. Just meeting after meeting after meeting. And that's really hard for me. I really need a little bit of time to process things, to feel really prepared walking into a meeting. And so if I have meetings that are back to back, or if I finally have a free space and I end up having a line of students outside of my office, it can be it can be really hard for me. I'll be as awesome as I can in the moment, present, but when I finally get some alone time, I often feel really drained, really drained, and I need to recharge and have some time to myself. And so this morning, I wake up, I see this flurry of meetings that I'm going to have that day, and I know that... I'm going to need some recharge time. And so I start thinking about self-care. And because I was in grumpy mode, I start thinking about all of the ways that we talk about self-care in ways that ticks me off. <laughs> and so my brain was going through this. And so I actually sat down and I wrote out this episode. And I sort of struggle with this because I'm not saying that you shouldn't practice self-care. It's just that I almost feel like we shouldn't have a word for doing the things that support our well-being that make us human, you know, should be regular and routine and just a part of our lives. And so today's episode is a little bit different. I decided to channel my grump and share with you three things that tick me off about the way that we talk about self-care. But in doing so, I hope that rather than dissuade you from ever practicing self-care or thinking that self-care is a bad thing, that instead it gets you to think more deeply about self-care, the way that we talk about it, and might give you some ideas for ways to make practicing self-care just a routine, mundane, habitual part of your day. So let's get grump together. (laughs) We got this. Do you want to feel less scattered and more focused, but the idea of goal setting sounds like adding more pressure to your already pressure-filled life? If so, Welcome to the Plan Goal Plan Podcast. I'm Danielle McGee. I'm a professor, mom, planner addict, and recovering overachiever. After years of hustle and grind, I was tired of trying harder. I was ready to try easier. At the intersection of research, practice, and play, I found a purposeful path to planning and goal setting that is fun, simple, and sustainable. If you're ready to try easier, if you're ready to make memories and do meaningful work, grab a pen. I will equip you with tools and practices to clarify purpose, reclaim time, and achieve goals playfully and lightly. Let's get started. All right, before I get grumpy, I just want to let you know that if you want to be grumpy with someone else, you should schedule a time management coaching call with me right now. The first session is complimentary and it is a way for you to get a chance to feel what coaching is like if that's something that you've never done to get a sense of whether or not you and I are a good fit. I do like to spend a majority of the session just working, just listening, just coaching you. But at the end of the session, if you're interested in learning more about my coaching packages, I'll walk you through that. I want to let you know that because I do care about myself, my well-being, and I want to make sure that I can show up in the best way possible for my clients. I am in a place where right now I only have room for a couple more clients. So if you've been thinking about it, schedule a complimentary call. 
now is the time. This really, this really isn't some weird way that I'm trying to orchestrate urgency. This is actually just me practicing good planning habits and not over scheduling. <laughs> so um, if you've been thinking about it, go to plangoplan.com, click on the coaching link and schedule a session now. It'll be fun. All right, let's get grumpy about self-care. So to be clear, I'm not necessarily grumpy about self-care, but rather the ways that we think and talk about self-care. So the first thing that ticks me off about self-care is the me first rhetoric of it. So the me first sentimentality of self-care, it makes me a bit ragey. So I know I got a little bit academic-y there with my language. <laughs> Let me explain this a little. So my friend Elaine Eshbaugh, she is a brilliant gerontologist and she does remarkable work around dementia. And she has a blog called When Dementia Knocks. I'm going to actually link a blog that she recently wrote about self-care. And it made me laugh because we talked about this, but we didn't. I didn't know that she was writing a blog about this at the same time that I'd actually already drafted this. And so anyway, you should check it out. I'll put the link there. She's brilliant. She's funny. She is the real deal, folks. But anyway, she and I have been talking about caregiving and planning. And we've been really thinking about what a planner for caregivers would look like. And we started talking about that thing that your therapist has probably told you. You know, the airplane metaphor. So the idea is that if a plane was going down, you put on your own mask first and then you would help other people. You know, maybe you've also heard the saying, like, you can't pour from an empty cup. I had my therapist say this to me shortly after I'd been diagnosed with postpartum anxiety, and my pelvis was slipping out of place all the time. I was leaking milk out of the side, yes, the side of my breast. Long story, another episode. I wasn't sleeping much because, you know, infant and anxiety and probably other weird hormone stuff. But anyway, I remember thinking, yes. Yes, I understand that if I want to give to others, I have to take care of myself first. But like, y'all, this baby needs to eat. Like washing my hair is not a need. And I remember thinking about my therapist, like, lady, if this plane is going down and I have to put on a mask, we're probably all dying anyway. <laughs> like, so, so when I was chatting with my friend Elaine about caregivers and how challenging time management is, when you're also navigating dementia or caregiving for someone with dementia. And she tells me how much the people that she works with hate, they hate this airplane metaphor. And y'all, I felt so validated. I felt validated. But when I started to really dig deep into why this irked me so darn much, I was having trouble articulating it. And then I heard this. Self-care is not me first. It's me too. Ding, ding, ding. And this hit it on the nose for me. So if y'all have been listening to this podcast, well, thank you. Also, if you're just here, hi. You know that I am really big on prioritization. If you make everything important, nothing is important. You need to do what matters most first. But the thing is, is when you are in crisis mode or survival mode or just some really uncomfortable mode, being told that what matters most is a flipping pedicure seems ridiculous because it is. So for me, thinking about self-care is not necessarily me first, but me 
too. And that feels more realistic to me. The second thing about self-care that gets me a little bit fired up is that it has been sold to us as short-term fixes instead of focusing on long-term well-being. Pedicures and bubble baths are nice. Personally, I'm team bubble bath. But I've heard so many people use self-care as a justification for treating yourself. And here's the thing. You should treat yourself. I'm there for it. (laughs) Treating yourself, being like, I'm here for pleasure. I'm here for delight. So, you know, if you want to treat yourself, treat yourself. But treating yourself and self-care are not the same thing. I recently read this tweet by John Amici that says, Self-care doesn't always mean abandoning things that are difficult and replacing them with things that are easy, luxurious, or effortless. It means doing things that are conductive to making you feel better long term. Sometimes that can mean doing hard things in the short term. So I really, really like this quotation because I do think that self-care should be choosing to do things that support our long-term well-being. And sometimes making the decision that supports our long-term well-being is actually the thing that is a little bit difficult at the time. So I recently shared an episode on rest. It's episode 67. It's the art and practice of rest for working moms. And in it, I talk about how you identify the type of rest that you need. And I explain that sometimes, for example, if you have been sitting at a computer all day long, you finally get done with work, you're exhausted, and then you lay on the couch. But at the end of the night, even though you lazed around on the couch for several hours, you don't feel as rested as you think that maybe you should be. And I think that Part of this might be because you didn't need physical rest. That physically, sitting in front of a computer, you were worn out mentally from your job. And you need mental rest. And what you gave yourself was more physical rest. But when you've had that really long day at work, sitting in front of your computer, the idea that you're going to get home and what you need to do is exercise is so hard. And yet, giving yourself that physical movement, letting yourself mentally rest while you do that might be the thing that you actually need to reinvigorate yourself, to restore yourself. So so one time I was working with someone and they were struggling financially and they were working so, so, so hard on their financial goals and they fell off track by making a really big lavish purchase and They justified their purchase by saying, oh, this is self-care. I remember struggling, trying to figure out how I was going to make it apparent to this person that supporting their financial well-being, when that was something that they cared about deeply, they'd been working so hard on, that that was self-care. And that self-care is not short-sighted. Self-care is not always sexy. Self-care has your future self in mind. And it's not always easy. It's making decisions that support your best self. So sometimes that means taking a nap. And sometimes that means going to therapy and having a hard conversation. So the third thing that sometimes ticks me off about the way that we talk about self-care is that self-care cannot only be about the self. So I teach a methodology called autoethnography. And autoethnography, I'll break it down for you the way that I would my students. So auto means self, 
ethno means culture, and graphy means writing. So autoethnography is writing about the self to understand a culture. It is a personal narrative, personal storytelling, and one of the things that it's been criticized for is navel-gazing. So writing that's so fixated on the self that it offers little use to anyone other than the author. Self-care that only makes your own life better, in my humble opinion, is selfishness, not self-care. That genuine self-care is like good autoethnography. It recognizes that the self and the other are intricately and intimately connected. A self does not exist outside of a society, outside of a culture. You cannot write about the self without making connections to others, to society, to culture clear. So that is one thing that I appreciate about the airplane metaphor. Our survival requires us to take care of ourselves and to help others. We can't go at this alone, and a lot of times self-care requires the support of others. So a babysitter so that you can have a date night to tend to your relationship, a boss who values the importance of mental health days, a healthcare system that supports not only patients but caregivers, a teacher who extends a deadline so that you can take a nap and then write the paper. Self-care rhetoric, or how we talk about self-care, can also make us think that we are solely responsible for our own care. Now, don't get me wrong, I think that we have a lot of responsibility for ourselves and our social institutions, our social systems, our schools, our workplaces, our healthcare systems, our community of friends. We can structure ourselves in ways that support the well-being of everyone in that system. Care needs to be collective. So to review, the three things that kind of get me riled up about the way that we talk about self-care, the me first sentimentality of self-care, I encourage you instead to adopt a me too approach to self-care. I get frustrated that self-care has been sold as short-term fixes rather than focusing on long-term well-being. And I believe that self-care should be collective care. That as a culture, as a society, we need to recognize that the responsibility for us to care about ourselves and each other is a group project. Many times, for us to even do the activities that we consider self-care requires the help of others. So if you are exhausted, if you have been going, 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 if you looked at your calendar and you've just had things back to back to back to back, And you need a dose of self-care. But the idea that you're supposed to prioritize a pedicure while you got all of this going on, I want to give you permission to be a little bit ragey. I want to give you permission to reject me first, but for it to be okay for you to think me too as you decide what sort of self-care you need to engage in that you might be inspired to choose the thing that supports your long-term well-being. You might be able to trust that the thing that's a little bit more difficult, the thing that doesn't seem easy, luxurious, or effortless, might be the thing that supports you feeling better long-term. I wish for you the ability to see how connected we are, that the self and the other is intimately and intricately connected. And that care is always already 
collective. Be well, my friends. If this podcast has inspired you, guided you, or just made you laugh, the number one way that you can thank me is by leaving a written review for the show over on Apple Podcast. I'm seriously tickled every time that I hear from you all, so pop onto Instagram and follow Plan Go Plan and digital message me. I want to say hello. I want to geek out about all things planning and goal setting. Keep sensing the possibilities, y'all.